I mean, yeah, I've been out there once before. It was the first time I learned about all the uh, the Arab and Muslim population out there. And so I knew when I got the show that I wanted to go back there and do an episode for the sh- for United Shades there. And so I was very happy to be there. And still, even though knowing what I knew from being there before, my eyes were still opened up by a lot of different things. And, you know, I, I'm always aware with the United Shades of how it works is like, the area where you shoot the show is often the most critical of it because they know it in a more intimate way and a more, in a more inclusive way and a more holistic way. Right. And so I'm always nervous when the episode airs to hear from people who live in those places, like, how come you didn't do this? Or why did you talk to this person and not this person? Inevitably that happens. But <laughs> overwhelmingly this season, it seems like people, they sort of understand that you're not going to get to everybody. Right. But they do appreciate the fact that I'm handing the mic over to people. Even if they don't know those people, they appreciate the fact that I'm not I'm handing the mic over to people, letting them talk about their experience living in that part of the country. One of the people that you spoke with was an imam who um, who admitted that he voted for Donald Trump and he was excited about the possibility. This was right after the election. So he was excited about the yeah, possibilities yeah. of uh, bringing in a president who um, was going to take a really firm stance against terrorism and against ISIS because he felt like it was really ruining the world, especially for mm-hmm. um, for Islam. And uh, then just this past week, we have now seen ICE sweep through this area and arrest uh, many, many Chaldean people in the Chaldean community here. Um, oh, wow. But also, this is a community that um, voted, there were many people who voted openly and excitedly for Donald Trump, because of the same reasons. And I, I, you know, it sort of struck me that there was that parallel that, you know, you sometimes can be surprised by the people who end up being oppressed yet uh, or vote, vote for that person who ends up being their oppressor. How often do you find situations like that, especially in these sort of tenuous political times? Well, I mean, certainly the last election, you know, one day when history writes about it, you know, we may all be dead and gone, but I hope my ghost can read the book because, uh, I do feel like that there it's it, it's hard you know you sort of look and go how could you vote for Trump and at the same time I have liberal friends who didn't want to vote for Hillary and you know now they weren't going to vote for Trump but you sort of go Hillary is not uh, is not a she's not a, a perfect and pure candidate against Trump so you, right so on some level you just go like yeah I guess if you're on the if you're not uh, if you're on the on the right it's just we and we can, we have turned politics into team sports right. you just have to pick whoever you think the winning team is and I think that like unfortunately you know we don't have a situation like France does or, or like where or like where uh in, the UK does where political leaders can emerge from almost nowhere you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. like you know you have to really sort of do your do, do your time in the two-party system here to sort of get to a place where you can lead the country. And I think, if anything, I hope we learn from, you know, the UK and from France that, like, we should be looking at, we should be looking from a wider group of people other than Republicans and Democrats for our leaders. So I think I've started, I've, I've accepted the fact that, that there are black people and there's not just two or three of them. There's many black people who voted for Trump. And if I sat down with them, they would explain to me why. And it's like, on some level, I feel like, that's probably the fault of the choices. Not the, that's not. I can't necessarily fault them the way I used to. Right. You know the the idea of uh, choosing teams and and where we are sitting right now in America. You know these are sort of topics that also come up in your podcast, politically reactive. Um, I'm I'm curious though, watching the trajectory of your career, it almost seems like you are now, especially after the election, or maybe leading up to the election as well, moving into a territory where 
the scale that balances um, comedian versus maybe advocate or activist, commentator, if you will, um, it seems that the 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 scale is is tips almost more slightly towards an advocacy role, even though humor is infused into everything you do. Um, do you ever feel like there is the, a push-pull between whether or not you are more drawn to the comedy side of things or more drawn to the commentary side of things? I mean, as, uh, I mean, I definitely know I'm a comedian, and I certainly learned that from working with Chris Rock, that like, as a, if, if your tax return says comedian, you have to be focused on the jokes. <laughs> now... I do appreciate the fact that because I work with CNN and because podcasting, you don't have to, the jokes don't have to come as fast as furious as they would if I was working on a show on Comedy Central or if I was working on a, you know, or if I was doing something that was more like, you know, explicitly like we're here for the most jokes we can pack into an episode. Right. So I feel like the thing that I'm really focused on is just being me. I get to be me no matter where I'm going and what I'm doing. So, uh, and there's just a different ways in which I am me. There's a, there's the me that's on United Shades of America. There's the me that's on politically reactive with Hari. And then there's the me that is on stage doing stand-up comedy. And those are sort of three different versions of myself. I remember Van Jones talked about that. Like, you know, you sort of, there's different plate, versions of you you take to these different platforms. And I really sort of like related to that. So for me, I, I just, it's like, I am a comedian because that's my job. And as Chris Rock taught me, you'll say something funny eventually because you're a comedian. <laughs> but the thing I'm focused on is making sure that I feel like I am myself in these places so I can like sort of be responsible to what it feels like, what I should say, not necessarily what a comedian should say, but what I should say. Well, what drew you into working with CNN other than, you know, being presented probably with a paycheck and an opportunity? Why, why <laughs> did you want to act like that's not a big, why did you decide that United Shades of America was the thing that you wanted to explore with them? I mean, for me, like they, I went and met with them. This was after Totally Bias was canceled, my first TV show, mm -hmm. and I met with them, and somebody had pitched them this idea, and I had been a fan of Anthony Bourdain and Morgan Spurlock, and you know, uh, Mike Rowe, Dirty Jobs. He was there at the time. I'd been a fan of those people's shows for a long time, and so for me, I used to watch like you know, you know, Bourdain and and and, and Mike Rowe. Be like, oh, and I'd like to have a job like that. So when they pitched me that they said somebody pitched them an idea for a black comedian traveling around the country, sort of getting into adventures, I was like, yeah, that's something I've always wanted to do. It just felt like a very natural fit, and uh, and uh, so for me, it was just like, you know, I I would love to have a job. I'd love to have that job. And so for me, it was just a very clear like. Okay, if they're going to let me make a pilot, let me make something that's unlike anything they've ever had on their network before. That's how we chose to shoot with the Ku Klux Klan. But right. I felt like you got to you got to go big or go home. So for me, it was just like they had hired. I think if CNN hadn't just recently hired Bourdain and Spurlock and Mike Rowe and Lisa Ling, I might have thought differently about it. But because they had just sort of like all these shows I had liked and all these people I appreciated were now in their network, I felt like well maybe there's a place for me here. Right. Well, you know, when we're talking about the different parts of you that are sort of uh, divided up among the various jobs you have, um, you're also then therefore accessing maybe different audiences, I would think. I've heard you talk a little bit about the audience that you're targeting with United Shades of America. I'm just curious if you could explore that a little bit more with me. Who do you feel like is is the audience that watches the show on CNN? It seems like you're, the the way that you discuss some of the headier topics or some of the quote-unquote woke topics that you're um, exploring maybe is not the same audience you're talking to when you're on Twitter and you're reaching your Twitter audience. So who do you think it, it, you're, you're speaking to when you write your scripts or when you approach your interviews for that show? 
I mean, I'm aware of the fact that I sort of became aware of this very quickly that like CNN casts a very wide net and that everybody sort of contends with CNN whether they want to or not. Because at some point you're at a doctor's office or you're at a coffee shop or you're at the airport and it's just sort of on in front of your face. And so that means that like, you know, I'm sort of aware that I'm talking to a very sort of wide ranging audience that could be that generally is older because it's CNN, but it's also just could be anybody who happens to wander across there. But it's not necessarily a group of people who would find politically reactive or find my stand up. So I think there is a sense of like sort of like really. And also, I know we're trying to talk about areas of the country and people and groups of people who don't get talked about enough. So there is a sense that like. I do really approach it like, you know, you know, Sesame Street for grown-ups. Let's let's really get really basic about what we're talking about here and really sort of like in a way that I think is fun. Like let's really investigate this and ask some really sort of as I say dumb questions about these about these parts of the country so that we can sort of be clear about what's happening here. So I think there's sort of a uh, this is my version of like, you know, Romper Room or one of those <laughs> like Blues Clues, uh, Kamal's Clues. Uh, yeah. So, and and whereas with Politically Reactive, it's like me and her, that comes out of me, phone conversations that me and Hari have where they're very sort of like funny and also deep and also uh, impassioned and also, you know, uh, sarcastic and it's friends having a good conversation. So it's like it's, a, it's much more the, the bone marrow of who I am. And then when I do stand up, it's just me and I just get to sort of like explore my brain, which is really as an only child that's the most fun thing for me to do it just in the you, unfortunately nobody's ever really been able to make a really good living as just a stand-up comic even kevin hart has 19 other jobs so right uh you know so it's just for me the stand-up is the most fun but you know with cnn it's i really i often hear from people who are like i'm a white 7 year old conservative from kansas and i love your show you know so for me there's something about that that's great right in this era of divided america it just feels like can we all just agree that like if a, if a if a woman wants to wear a hijab, but and she feels and she's decided that she wants to do that, that, that that's okay. Like, not that that's okay, but that you shouldn't really have an opinion about that. That you should let her live her life. Right. Well, I think you. So we discovered on your show that not everybody is okay with that. You had a person uh, who drove by while you were filming, interviewing a woman wearing hijab, and shouted something pretty fr- profane at her. That, that was kind of shocking, actually, just to hear somebody do that. While, maybe they did it because you were filming, but it was... I mean, I think they did it because we were filming. I think, you know, it was, sort of happened so quickly. It was only later that I was able to figure out what had happened. But yeah, I think they saw the cameras and thought they were, you know, and thought they were being clever. But the thing for me was like, her reaction was just like, yep, that happens all the time. Right. So even though I think they did it because we were filming, she's used to uh, people hurling insults at her from the from moving cars right. or, or probably even other things that are worse. So, you know, her sort of like stoic reaction to it was the thing that I took out of that, where she was like, yeah, that happened. And then also the fact that I was like, maybe we should have gone after them. And she's like, nope. And she like said, I'm getting out of here before you do something stupid. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm trying to get home. So, uh, yeah, like I think that that was – I really – you know, the great thing about that episode, and some of it was, you know, sort of – you know, a lot of the United States is about catching lightning in a bottle. And that's a moment where you're like, you know, you can sit there and talk about how great an open Hamtramck is and how great an open Dearborn is and how we all get along. It's not a problem. But then that happens. You're like, okay, that's, yeah, that's the goal. But it's not necessarily everyone's reality. Right. And I think the other thing we heard on Twitter, because I live tweet most of the episodes on Twitter, there was a lot of, you know, women who uh, wear scarves or hijab or niqab and we're like, yep, that happens to me all the time. So it didn't opens up a discussion, you know, that that those women are probably having with each other, having with their friends and family. But the but the outside non-Muslim world doesn't know that that's happening all the time. 
From the time that you were interested in exploring uh, an Anthony Bourdain or maybe Dirty Jobs type of show um, to now, do you feel like the focus has for you become um, that there is more of a mission than there was before? Or, or has there always been sort of uh, a guidepost that you wanted to educate as well as entertain? No, I mean, for me, you know, I feel like really lucky in, in, the, in sort of a twisted version of lucky way that uh that uh that the first season of the show happened sort of before the uh election season was in full bore so we sort of got to sort of explore what the show might be so that when the second season showed up and the election was fully happening it felt like that we sort of had gotten the time gotten a year to practice like i often say like the first season was like the mixtape the second season was like the album and i felt like we got sort of some got, got our sea legs under us so that like we knew from watching the election cycle who we needed to talk to and and what issues we needed to cover because like you know trump candidate trump was giving us homework by talking about muslims and talking about you know and talking about coal jobs and, and all these other things and so and talking about chicago so it felt like well we're supposed to go to those places because those people are not getting are not being asked what their opinions on these things are so for me it was just like yeah it feels like the mission has gotten clearer and uh, and and maybe even more. I don't know. I, I don't want to say necessary, but just, it's gotten clearer what what the show is supposed to do. Well, as you get clearer on that um, objective or mission, do you ever feel like you have to tread tread lightly or soft pedal things that you would otherwise want to go a little harder on? You did talk. You know, you you expressed a lot of frustration within the episode. You go to um, the south side of Chicago and you really talk about violence in Chicago and public perception of what Chicago is or what um, urban black communities are about and where it's dangerous or whether it's dangerous. And there were a lot of really touchy subjects that we hear about a lot from our callers on the show when dealing with race, especially between black and white people in this country. Um, do you ever feel like you have to sort of pussyfoot around issues that you maybe would want to be a little bit more firm about? Or do you feel, for the most part, that you are true to the full extent of how you feel about things? I mean, I often just think about the format and the network that I'm at, CNN, and think about how some of the times those issues come up, and they'll have a couple people on there talking about an issue like Black Lives Matter, and it'll and it'll be somebody saying, I think they're a terrorist group, and somebody saying, I think they're not. And at the end, they sort of go... The sort of just the nature of, of journalism, like sometimes this sort of thing of like, well, you two disagree. Anyway, we got to go to commercial. Whereas I feel like I actually had a long, thorough talk on the show about Black Lives Matter and even had a talk with a white woman that felt like it had nothing to do with making the show about getting her to understand why Black Lives Matter is better. It's why it's more helpful to say Black Lives Matter than All Lives Matter. And for me, it's like I just sort of go, where else is that happening? Right Now, yes. If me and, you know, if I if I have coffee with Alicia Garza, one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter, which I'm lucky enough to be able to do that sometimes when she lets me do that, that's a different conversation. <laughs> like right. She's not going to – I'm not necessarily asking her to explain to me what Black Lives Matter is, but the show is being made for the TV cameras. And so and – and the show is being made for the audience people who watch CNN. And so in that sense, I feel like – I'm always aware of where I'm at and what the format is and what we're doing. And I feel really successful, like in the episode in Dearborn and Hamtramck, where me and Dawood sat down and, you know, he used words like white supremacy and talking about white terrorism in this country. And I feel like 
that's not so, again, that's not something that's normally happening at the 10 o'clock hour on CNN without somebody then pushing back against him and going, no, no, no. Right. And I just said, hey, man, talk. I, 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 really, I know all the things you're saying and I understand them. But you're not normally he's not normally getting to say that in that format in front of the audience who watch my show. You know right. what I'm saying? Yep. You so actually make a really like it's, yeah, it's, it's a really funny situation. moment. <laughs> yeah. Uh where you yeah, you actually bring I, like and then I highlighted it. I yeah. highlighted it in stand up. I was like, I know I'm getting a lot of pushback about that because it's like I you know, a lot of people sort of think, Why isn't the show going further? It's like, Do you realize how far the show is going? <laughs> 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 yes, it is not a Black Panther meeting in Oakland in the, in the late 1960s. No. Right. Would, would I like to go to one of those things? Yes. But are we making it? But is this show for a different audience? Yes. And I think, yep, I feel like there's a sense of like really sort of, sometimes we are throwing people in the deep end, but also sometimes it's like really just trying to understand the very basic facts. You're listening to Detroit Today. I'm Laura Weber Davis. I'm speaking with W. Kamau Bell, a comedian who's going to be at St. Andrew's Hall this Sunday. You can find ticket information online as well. We'll put up a link on the WDET page. Uh, Kamau, I find the more I talk to people, the less afraid I am of whatever it is that I didn't yet know. So the more you're out doing your show, the more you're out interacting with people post-election, whether it be touring the country as a comedian or interviewing people for your show, do you find that it um, that it eliminates maybe some element of fear or anxiety about where we are in the world? Or do you find that the more you know, the more terrified maybe you become? Uh, <laughs> these are good. It's a lot, a lot of uh, – suddenly I feel like I'm on a therapist couch. Uh, <laughs> good big Well, questions. sorry. I mean, sorry I do feel – I do feel like you need to keep learning more. You need to keep digging deeper. You can't assume you know everything. And I think that that's the the one thing I've learned over the last few years of my career is like I can't ever go, whoop, I learned all about that because there's always going to be a level that I'm like, oh, I had no idea about that. And so I happily walk through the world as like somebody who's like, what, tell me. I didn't understand. Explain it to me. I didn't understand. Uh, You know, so that's one thing. So I think that if you ever sort of feel like, I think I know it all, you're really going to start to miss some things and also not be a helpful ally to people who need you to help them or who want you to at least not be in their way. Uh, So for me, it's like I walk through like, just tell me more. I didn't know that. Explain. explain. I I do think the current, the thing that I'm most sort of sensitive to in the current era is that, you know, we are getting a sense of how fractured this country is and how, and how, there are forces at work that really don't care about us at all. But the problem is, is like, how do we stop? How do we save ourselves from that? How do we save the country from that? And that's just going to take a lot of work. And I think everybody has a different idea of what that work is supposed to look like. And it's going to take a lot of different platforms of work. And so for me, the thing I'm most afraid of is that at some point, those of us who are on the side of, of, of inclusion and, and, uh, and, 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 and equity and, Good and good schools for every kid in this country, and, and accessible and affordable health care for everybody in this country. And we're on the side of innovation, which means you're on the side of immigration, and 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 inside of this country being a country that says welcomes people who need who need help and places to stay. Uh, if you're on the side of that, that like that's going to take a lot of work, and I'm afraid we're going to get exhausted. Like that's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that you know, like the women's march was an amazing thing that it, 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 all those people turned out, but we probably need one of those every few days. Like you know what I mean? <laughs> right. So it's like, and it's just not possible to get, make that happen. So uh, that's the thing I'm most is that we're just eventually going to become like, you know, it's like when you you get excited about changing your Facebook avatar to a new thing that means something that everybody's excited about, and then a few, and then after a few weeks you go, let me just change it to my favorite TV show. You know what I mean? Like you just sort of let me change that cute picture of that of my cat. Like you just eventually sort of 
slip back into whatever the normal is or whatever feels the most sort of like you want to sort of convince yourself things are going to be okay. And I just want to be clear about like, I don't know that things are going to, things are definitely not going to be okay unless we put the work in.